Hello and welcome to the Friday, March 18th, 2022, Dregs of St. Patrick's Day edition of On Iowa Politics. <laughs> Support provided by New Pioneer Co-op, celebrating 50 years as Eastern Iowa's source for locally and responsibly sourced groceries with stores in Iowa City, Coralville, and Cedar Rapids, and online through Co-op Cart at newpi.coop. This week, filing deadline, funnel week at the Capitol, and COVID March Madness. Hi, I'm James Lynch of the Cedar Rapids Gazette, and with me today are Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal. Good morning, Jared. Good morning. I'm, uh, I'm still trying to find my four-leaf clovers. Uh, <laughs> Aww, the never-ending <laughs> Amy Rivers of the Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier. Good morning, Amy. Good morning, James. Let's better be lucky than good, right? Yeah, exactly. Aaron Murphy, State House Bureau Chief for the Gazette. Good morning, Aaron. Good top of the morning to you, James. <laughs> Thank you. And Gazette Opinion Editor Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. First up this week, the deadline for filing the filing deadline for primary election candidates isn't until 5 p.m. today, Friday, hours after we record this podcast. But it appears that most of the major party candidates for governor and Congress have filed successfully. Um, Bob Krause withdrew his, from the Senate race because of COVID, which hampered his efforts to get the 3,500 signatures he needed to get on the Democratic Senate primary ballot. Uh, still waiting to see if Glenn Hurst files. Um, and, and I've heard Similar uh, concerns from a number of candidates, especially Democrats, that getting signatures was a challenge because they typically do that at their caucuses, but many counties had virtual caucuses this year, which made collecting signatures uh, more difficult. Uh, It appears that State Senator Jim Carlin will be Senator Chuck Grassley's only challenger for the Republican nomination for Senate. Um, Andrew Jackson Foster IV uh, hasn't filed despite proposing a contract with Iowa that includes Support for the divine right of parents to raise children free of indoctrination in Marxist ideology, racism, gender dysphoria, and lowered school expectations. That sounds sort of like the mainstream of the Republican Party these days. (laughs) (laughs) He also believes that climate change initiatives are nothing more than legalized theft of natural and personal resources. Of course, if it's legal, is it really theft? Never mind. And speaking of lowered expectations, uh, former congressional candidate and almost dragon slayer J.D. Scholten is running for a seat in the Iowa House. Uh, Jared, is that a safe seat for Democrats? Um, the last time I checked, there weren't any Republicans running in that district. Yeah, at least through uh, this morning, because I was just checking right before we got on here. Um, there haven't been any Republicans who have uh, filed and are listed on the Secretary of State's uh, website. Of course, it's Still possible that someone does before 5 p.m., but obviously that would be cutting it um, pretty close. And uh, if there isn't someone who files, uh, Schulten, of course, doesn't have a lot to worry about because it's hard to lose if you don't have any actual uh, competitors. Um, And even if someone does file, it would really kind of depend on who it is before I would say um, how good of a chance they have of uh, winning in a race against Schulten. I say that because Chris Hall, who's leaving the legislature at the end of, uh, of his term, he represented uh, the Sioux City area for about a dozen years as a Democrat. And, uh, you know, everything's been renamed and renumbered because of the redistricting. But Schulten would basically still be running to represent the Sioux City area or a chunk of the Sioux City area in the Iowa House. Um, if the right Republican with strong name recognition ran, it could be a problem for Democrats because Trump 
did well in the county overall in the past, but Chris Hall managed to run ahead of that um, the years that uh, he was running when there were those national elections. The thing is, I don't really know a Republican in the area who would still file this late for the race and would have stronger name recognition than J.D. Scholten, who's obviously run twice now in congressional races, which helps a lot with uh, name ID, especially when you're running in a, a state house race. Uh, Aaron, as you look at the list of uh, filings, do you see any surprises there in who's filed or who hasn't filed? Um, as far as who has not, I, I don't see any names missing um, that I expected to. So, um, with the maybe possible exception, as and you mentioned um, that in the Democratic Senate primary, um, we've been hearing from Glenn Hurst uh, off and on through the campaign. So um, if he doesn't make it to the ballot, that's maybe a, a, a mild surprise. I wouldn't call it a shock. Um, but but other than that, the, the names that we expected to hear um, are, are showing up. I, I can't think of any who that I don't see that I thought I would. Um, um, there are a few uh, maybe surprising or interesting um, ones that have popped up um is in um we might talk about this a little bit later but uh uh one interesting one is the um majority leader um matt winchettle in the house has a primary challenge um which is interesting um that's that's pretty uncommon of course we have uh, uh someone primarying uh, chuck grassley as you noted so maybe i shouldn't be surprised by that um <laughs> But that was one I didn't, I guess I, I wasn't expecting. Uh, right. Uh, I'll, yeah. I'll say that. Amy, um, there have been some retirements and legislators jumping from one chamber to the other to take advantage of open districts uh, created by redistricting. Any surprises in the Cedar Valley area? Um, right now, Roz Smith's seat is open. I'm, I just checked and nobody's filed for the House District 62 seat. Um, now, I do know that two people have announced they are going to run um, on the Republican side. Todd Obadal said that he was going to jump in um, and, and run, as well as uh, Jerome Amos made a big announcement um, and noted he was going to run um, on the Democratic side. And he is a city council member, so he's sort of really well known in the district that way. Um, but Todd's run for stuff before. Um, I think it'll still be an uphill battle for him just because it is a pretty blue district. But the really interesting district, I think, is going to be um, really district. Oh, shoot. Yeah, there's 76. So this is the one that changed. This is Dave Williams district and he's retiring. Um, it used to be pretty majority southern Cedar Falls but now it has moved um, severely south. It's taking in a lot of rural areas um, that have previously been really Demo uh, Republican strongholds. So it's entirely possible that this is one of the seats that flips um, Republican, and you've got two Republicans right now, um, Tony Chavez, who is sort of um, a Republican Party guy, and then you've got Derek Wolf, who was a, a Hudson farmer on the Republican side, who have uh, joined Democrat Kate Hudson for challenging that seat. So that'll be a really interesting one to watch, 76. So, Todd, it appears there will be plenty of new faces in the legislature next year. It also appears that Republicans will maintain control of the House and the Senate. Um, what's the impact of all those new members? Well, I, I think, you know, they're, they're going to have to, you know, wear their name tags. 
because nobody will know who they are. The doorman might not let them in unless they do that. Uh, it's, you know, leaders and, uh, and, and uh, incumbents, you know, veterans will spend more time showing them where committee rooms are and the proper bathroom facilities and all of that stuff. Kind of the first day of school type stuff. Exactly. Uh, orientation. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and judging by, you know, uh, Amy just mentioned that seat that's more rural that might flip. Uh, there are other retirement seats like that for Democrats that Republicans have a chance of picking off. So you, they, Republicans might have to, especially in the House, might have to find more chairs, chairs for the, you know, the caucus room, uh, maybe another venue. Maybe they'll have to go to a small amphitheater or something to hold their hold their caucus meetings. So. Uh, yeah, as far as policy, I mean, you know, we, we know what Republicans have done the last few years and what they'll probably do, you know, at least the big stuff, probably more tax cuts on the way to their goal of eliminating the income tax and, uh, you know, various, uh, you know, various issues dealing with sort of the culture war and other things. Uh, I mean, they'll probably be running on, you know, none of that when maybe the exception of tax cuts. And it'll be a surprise what actually happens, as it usually is. So, uh, yeah, it, it'll be a change. But, you know, these things cycle. I think it was, you know, in 2006, when Democrats took control, you saw a lot of new lawmakers sort of flow in after that election cycle. And and then it stays steady for a while. And then you have a, a situation like this where, where it's, you know, Democrats are kind of tired of not having any of their ideas listened to and, and, you know, banging their head against the wall and, and, and t- trying to talk bills to death. It gets, it gets tiring. So it's time to, time to go home, I guess. Even if Republicans stay in control, there could be some changes in leadership. Senate president Jake Chapman is being um, challenged by a democratic incumbent Senator Sarah Trone Garriott in a district that Democrats think they can win. Um, some lawmakers have moved into open districts that if they thought they would fare better there, uh, Senate majority leader, Jack Whitber was one of those Aaron. Um, but he will have a challenger. Uh, is he safe? Um, I think he'll have, um, some work to do, but he's certainly going to be safer than he would have been if he would have stayed in the Senate district where he's currently uh lives and represents it and and obviously that's you know the current district i I, and stay understanding those are loose terms given that they were redrawn but but the district that includes the city of of ankeny um and has continued to trend in a little more democratic direction now it's still republican leaning um but the margins have just tightened a little bit and um that that tightness will relax a little bit in this new district, which is the more rural areas of, of Polk County. Um, so, at, so at the very least, you know, in, as, as I say, he, he won't have to work quite as hard and, and that sounds glib, but, but, but that really is important because that means instead of having to pour his resources as majority leader into his own reelection and, and make sure he's protecting himself, he can, he can spread that out to, to help other members of his caucus. And, and that's, that's a, a part of the reason for a move like this. Um, you mentioned the Chapman one that, I mean, that was interesting. And for no other reason than, you know, we would hear occasional whispers 
around the capital that maybe he would move into a little safer district too. And 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 we're hearing that uh, kind of throughout the lead up to this recent season. So he has officially um, filed now in that district. So we will get that race between um, two incumbents, uh, Jake Chapman and Sarah Joan Garriott. And, and boy, that's going to be an interesting one. And, and it is in a district, again, uh, similar to Ankeny, uh, but I think even a little more so it has been uh, trending. It's an area, it's one of those suburban areas that Democrats have made some gains in in recent years. So that's going to be a super interesting race. And how about the woman primarying uh, Matt Winshittle? Do you think she's safe? <laughs> or, or is that just a, a lapse in judgment <laughs> yeah her political future i is, is the is what i'm more worried about is I, I don't know how safe that is because when you decide to primary a, a, a party leader like that uh usually it's not uh celebrated from within the ranks uh, so Amy, uh, I'm, I'm wondering if, if the Democratic primary races for the U.S. Senate and some of these legislative seats give Democrats an opportunity to get their base fired up and, and improve chances of picking up seats around the state. That and the governor's race, you know, I mean, that's sort of where Democrats have to, you know, try to really put their money. I mean, you can obviously get people fired up about, you know, seats changing and redistricting a little bit within those specific areas, but Overall, yeah, these will be the state races to watch. And especially, I think, um, you know, Grassley's seat, not only is he being primaried, but two Democrats are, are fighting for the right to face him. So I think you're going to see a lot of um, messaging from now until the primary. Um, and that'll just focus a lot of attention on that seat specifically. And then whoever um, faces Grassley, well, assuming he, you know, survives the Carlin primary challenge, whoever yeah, faces exactly. each other. Yeah, I think that'll continue to be... Um, one of the ones to watch for sure. Mm-hmm. There are some legislative primaries in and around the Des Moines area. Um, there's a, a Democratic primary in a Cedar Rapids uh, Senate district that already seems to be getting a little chippy. Um, there's a three-way Republican primary in a Lynn-Benton County district um, and also a Democratic primary in that district. Uh, so I'm wondering uh, some of these primaries, uh, like in the Des Moines area where you have a bunch of Democrats running in the primaries, are these places where Democrats either are, are a lock to win or say like the, you know, the Benton County, Lynn County district where they're unlikely to win and how much, you know, I guess I wonder how much effect they're going to have um, if it's just Democrats running in safe districts and Republicans primarying in safe districts. Um, I don't know. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Yeah. Well, the, the, it, the interesting thing is I'm looking at this Jim, and, and I should have mentioned this before, because we talked about Winchettel. There are a few Republican primaries in, including of, and not just because of redistricting. Um, there's a couple other examples of, of incumbent Republicans yeah. who are, are being uh, primaried. Um, Skyler Wheeler uh, has yep. has a primary opponent uh, over in Western Iowa. Um, Eddie Andrews here in the in the Des Moines suburbs um, has a primary opponent. Um, uh, so so it, so it is kind of interesting that there's um, I, I don't know if it's unrest within um, uh, the party out there, but that a, that a, that a few of these um, Republicans are 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 facing uh, 
primary challenges. And then you have, uh, we've already seen organizations weighing in, like the Family Leader and, and Americans for Prosperity, endorsing uh, some of these candidates of these uh, races. So, yeah, and uh, Aaron, that um, the the Skyler Wheeler one too is interesting to me because he already hopped out of um, a primary that would have put him against another Republican incumbent, and so he not only is he hopping out of that to to move into a, a different district that he originally wasn't representing. Now he's getting primaried in the the new district that he's going to be running in. So that by no means is a layup, at least on on paper. Obviously, because he's an incumbent, there's some advantages there. But I'll be curious to see how that all shakes out. Another interesting primary to watch is is this one over in the Jones-Dubuque County area where Lee Hine, who's the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee, and uh, freshman representative Steve Bradley are running against each other in a district over there. And and we're starting to see sort of the organizations get involved there where Americans for Prosperity are backing uh, Bradley. And I imagine he'll get support from pro-life groups because Hine has not always has not supported every uh, anti-abortion measure that's come through the House. Um so, it, you know, it's, and in talking to some of these candidates uh, recently, it, it's interesting that, yeah, there are some philosophical differences um, talking to uh, a candidate not in that Hine um, Bradley district, but he was talking about that race, just, you know, saying that uh, uh, Hines a, a little bit squishy on a few issues. And, uh, you know, so they're... <laughs> I'm not sure exactly which issues or how squishy, but, uh, you know, so there there are some differences there. Um, I was talking to somebody this morning about uh, races in the Iowa, Washington County area. And apparently there's some of the there's like three people running, three Republicans running in one of those districts. And uh, it's um, sort of the same sort of thing where I guess some people aren't Republican enough, um, you know, so uh it's, there's going to be some interesting races out there. You, you mentioned that uh, Hine Bradley uh, primary. I, ju- I just got to share what, what, one of the moments from this session that <laughs> I couldn't help get a little kick out of. So Lee Hine, as uh, he's chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, so all the tax bills come his way, and so he was obviously the the, the foreman on the the big income tax bill that they that the Republicans passed. Uh, the big income tax cuts bill. And so he's the one that when they debate it on the floor, it gets to stand up and talk about how great it is and, and defend it uh, from all the democratic attacks. Um, so when we get to, to the end and, and usually the, the Republican, Iowa Republican majority's practice has been um, only the bill manager speaks that I don't know if it's a hard and fast rule because sometimes other Republicans get up and talk, but 99 times out of a hundred, only the bill manager speaks on a bill. They let the Democrats come in with an endless line of opposition, but only one Republican usually speaks. <laughs> so we're doing the, the tax bill debate and Lehigh um, and is almost ready to give his closing remarks. The Democrats are done and one more light goes on and it's Steve Bradley gets up to just talk real quick about how much he likes the tax bill. And I just couldn't help but get a kick out of uh the the, yeah. the the primary uh challenger there uh needing to get his two cents into and make sure that Lehigh didn't get all the spotlight there. I, I've noticed too uh a number of pictures like in the governor's office where they're like almost you can almost see them elbowing each other to get 
closer to the camera. Uh, so, yeah. uh, well, we've got 87 days until the primary, so get your brackets filled out now, folks. Um, also at the legislature this week was Funnel Week. Putting the fun in Funnel Week, all those jokes. Um, we've talked about there didn't seem to be any surprises, but Aaron, there was sort of a surprise this week. Yeah. Um, so as far as no surprises, you're right. Most of the big bills, um, they've either already done or they're funnel proof anyway, so they didn't have to rush them through the process. Um, but man, the most interesting moment this week was, um, and we rarely get to see this, was a, a majority party bill um, losing a, a key vote on the floor. Um, so, and, and this is so into the weeds and requires so much back story. So I'll do this as succinctly <laughs> as quickly as I can. Um, but Republicans have been wanting to do a couple things, including, um, some liability protections for commercial truck drivers and, um, and other Republicans have, uh, what is a pretty expansive, uh, ban on vaccine mandates. And those bills didn't have enough support to pass on their own. Uh, so the, the 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 plan that they came up with was to add these as amendments to a separate bill, and 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 the thinking being, you know, combining those two groups of support together would get them to 51 votes. Um, so when you do something like that, you have to um, um, amend that to an old bill, and 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 that is um, then against the rules because it's not relevant to that bill. So the opposing party can say, hey, we object. It's not relevant. Speaker Grassley ruled, you're right, that's not relevant. But then it's it's no big deal because the majority party can say, well, we now we vote to suspend the rules so we can consider that bill. That That's an option in there as well. And so that's what they did. But they didn't get enough votes to do that, uh, which was a surprise to including the speaker himself. They said they left caucus thinking they had 51 votes to debate that bill. So either they were wrong about where someone stood or someone changed their minds in the five minutes it took to come from the caucus room to the House floor. And so that motion to suspend the rules didn't pass, and they weren't even able to consider or debate the bill. It, it died right there on the spot, which was just fascinating, uh, a, a kind of thing that rarely to never happens. Yeah, it, it's one of those things. I, I really can only remember that happening once uh, in the past, and that, and that was a number of years ago. Um, and what what's really interesting too is is as Aaron was saying, this there were kind of like two bad bills, put them together, and hope you get enough, you know, get fifty one votes. Um, and this was not their first attempt. Originally, the the tort liability part, the trucker liability part, was uh, part of a, a bill to cut unemployment benefits. Uh, and apparently they couldn't get 51 votes on that. So then they decided to amend it onto this bill that had nothing to do with it. Um, and, and the people who voted against suspending the rules, um, a number of them are people who have been the most vociferous advocates of uh, banning uh, vaccine mandates and mask mandates. And then there were a group of Republican lawyers um, who uh, apparently think the, the tort reform is not only bad, but unconstitutional um, and, and <laughs> have been hard nose on this for the past couple of years. So I'm not sure where they go next with this, because obviously they're not going to give up on it. Um, 
but um, yeah, it was like Aaron said, it's kind of inside baseball. Uh, if you cover the legislature and probably of, of no significant interest to people on the outside, but it's one of those rare moments of drama uh, that we got to enjoy this week. Yeah. And I tell you, it was, it was quite the scene in the house too. I mean, if you could have seen Matt Winchittle in the moment after that happened, um, he, he's a pretty stoic guy and it was, and he remained outwardly stoic, but it was pretty easy to uh, interpret the rage that was emanating from Matt uh, in that moment. Um, and then you had like, you know, the, you know, Speaker Grassley sent his spokesperson out to, to address us. And so you have the whole press bench standing up and shoving their recorders and uh, poor Melissa Deitch's face. And, and uh, oh my gosh, it was, it was just a, it was a while. It was a very interesting scene. A little bit of excitement in the funnel week for us. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the most fun and funnel week. Well, the first COVID nineteen death in Iowa was reported March twenty fourth, twenty twenty, which seems like a decade ago. The victim was an older adult, sixty one to eighty years of age, and a resident of Dubuque County. Governor said, "Our hearts are heavy with the first loss of an Iowa to COVID nineteen." Since then, about 9,300 more Iowans have died, despite Reynolds urging Iowans to protect their health and the health of others, because we all have a role to play in limiting the spread of this virus. That didn't seem to go well. Um, Perhaps legislators didn't hear her, Aaron, because as you mentioned, they've been attempting to put limits on vaccine and mask requirements. Um, They would prevent schools, daycares, businesses from asking for vaccine passports, uh, prevent them from requiring employees to be vaccinated. And if they discharged an employee for failing to be vaccinated, the business would be subject to a $50,000 fine with half of that going to the employee. Um, In addition to witnessing the House action, uh, you you had a virtual front row seat as a Senate discussion of similar legislation unfolded this week. And unlike their hero, Donald Trump, Senate Republicans claim that COVID-19 vaccine is ineffective, uh, with Senator Jason Schultz saying, we need to put a rest to that. COVID-19 is an effective and safe vaccine. We have to move past this semi-quasi-science clergy who have turned what used to be a respected industry, the science industry, into a club to beat people over the head. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean... And it shouldn't have been right because we we've heard that out there. That's that's that kind of stuff has been out there in this world for going on two years now. But I don't know. Somehow that still jolted me when I was covering that committee meeting and and and, and heard that. And 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 it's the kind of stuff that's just so widely and easily refuted. The, the data is remarkably clear on this. The medical community is in. Um, unanimity and in agreement on this it's it's just it's 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 not a debate point it's not a he said she said it's not democrats think one thing and republicans think the other it's it's it it's just absolutely not true and 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 uh, uh was just remarkable uh uh to to hear that in that in in that committee meeting this week and again i don't know what maybe, was the- maybe i maybe it shouldn't be <laughs> What was the response when he said that? You know, that was interesting too. It, uh, it it was his closing comment on the last bill of the of the agenda. So, um, 
uh, there wasn't, you know, the Democrats didn't speak up, I will say. Um, so I covered another committee hearing the next day, um, and uh, I overheard a couple Democrats mumbling under their breath about <laughs> Senator Schultz's comments about vaccines from the previous day. So so clearly they had thoughts, and they just <laughs> didn't, weren't, weren't afforded the proper uh, channel the first time. But yeah, it was, like I said, it was kind of perfectly timed as that last um, moment of the meeting, and so there wasn't any kind of real big follow-up or reaction. Yeah. As we quickly learned, uh, COVID-19 could trigger respiratory tract infections affecting the sinuses, throat, windpipe, lungs, and caused numerous other complications. But uh, throw this out there to Todd and Jared and Amy. Who knew it would also cause people to lose their minds? (laughs) That's a legit long COVID symptom, actually. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, my faith in humanity was shaken a bit by the whole Trump getting elected, but it it was still, you know, still fairly solid. I thought, well, you know, and then then COVID came and I thought, well, this is scary, but surely people will do everything they can to not get it and to help make sure other people don't get it and, and do all the reasonable, responsible things that we ought to do. And politics shouldn't play a big role in this, but I was I was wrong. My faith in humanity was was uh, too faithful, I guess would be <laughs> the way to put it. So, yeah, I I mean it shouldn't have surprised me, but it did surprise me how sort of this fell into sort of the the partisan political trenches that we already had were already well dug. I, I you know I, I think the fact that you know the the president we had at the time probably contributed to that by being sort of erratic and dismissive of the of the whole thing, mainly because he was worried about his his reelection chances. Uh, and and the vaccines, you know, when when they first came out, you know, I went and got my first my first two doses in like Muscatine. I mean, I I thought everybody was was crazy looking for some place to go, so I just figured, you know everyone's going to want to get vaccinated, right? Well, no, (laughs) no, no, not everyone wanted to get vaccinated. In fact, not everyone, you know, could even get on board with the fact, as we just heard from, from uh, uh, the scientist in the legislature, Schultz, Dr. Schultz, that, uh, you know, these are not even effective or safe and there's microchips in them. And where's Bill Gates, you know, and Fauci, what's going on? (laughs) So, yeah, it shouldn't have surprised me, but boy, you losing losing their minds is you know that was a became a primary symptom and you didn't even have to have COVID, right? Um, you know it, it's kind of interesting to me that early on we talked about this war on COVID. I mean everybody used these war terms and analogies, uh, you know, and that as a nation we were going to unite and uh, you know defeat COVID. Um, obviously, it turned out it wasn't quite that simple, but it's now. Looking at the response to the war in Ukraine, the Russian invasion there, and it's almost some of the same people who opposed all the COVID measures seem to think, yeah, hey, Putin might be right. You know, he's got a case to make there for invading uh, Ukraine, um, which, you know, totally surprises me. Sorry, there's some overlap in the Venn diagram there. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's just it seems like such a no brainer that Americans would stand up for Ukraine. And yet we have these people who are, are defending Putin or at least sort of questioning the, the validity of I mean, the, the validity of Ukraine uh, to exist. And, and it's just wow. Information spreads just as quickly as virus. So, yeah, yeah you got to be careful there. We've right. gone from the Wu talking all about the Wuhan lab to talking about the the bio labs in Ukraine, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know Marjorie Taylor Greene has switched subjects. I don't know why the Jewish space laser hasn't been deployed in Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, that's a powerful weapon. It started wildfires in California. I uh, I I I kind of wonder if um in like subsequent uh you know primaries and stuff uh, especially for Republicans if like one of the you know qualifiers that they're going to have in these races like to try to differentiate between one candidate and another is like I I refuse to get vaccinated when you know COVID was a thing and then their you know, their opponent will like have to say that they also didn't get vaccinated and that'll just be one of the one of the things that you use to determine who to, to vote for in some of those primaries in some of these places. Yeah. I had that same thought when we were talking about those Republican primaries, what kind of litmus test that there, there will be in some of these races. And I got, I almost hesitate to share because it's so depressing, but as we're talking about this, it, it just perfectly fits. I got an email from a reader um, talking about that story and, and, and defending Senator Schultz. And, and one of the lines that I just got to highlight here, it's just so frustrating. Um, the, the real misinformation is coming from the experts that I cited in my story. Um, and he lists here, Johns Hopkins, the Mayo Clinic, and all people with the Associated Press all have a vested interest in selling vaccines. I mean, that's the... It's, which are it's, free. It's just <laughs> right. Small, I, and, and I'm, small I'm, detail. I'm, I'm not sure how. First of all, I'm, if I'm not sure how the Associated Press benefits from selling vaccines, but they, but if they are, can we get uh, other newspaper hey. companies on board? Maybe it'll save hey, our industry. Aaron, Aaron, do your research, man. It's yeah, out there. Man. AP, man. It, it doesn't even stand for Associated oh, Press. God. It's like, uh, you know, it's like. Awful for a vaccine. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. Yeah, add up the letters. You know, it's it's. <laughs> okay. Well, speaking well, of this, is, is, is anybody ahead. is anybody been following the big uh, the big uh, explosion in COVID cases in Europe? Has any has anyone been watching that? Because I'm running around mask free and, and fancy free, too. and then I'm then I'm seeing this stuff, and I'm like, yeah. no, no, don't, not don't. again. Yeah. Omicron, but faster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Great. That's a that's a good. Is that like the the marketing for the new variant? Yes. Like Omicron, <laughs> but faster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of depressing news, today we say goodbye to Amy Rivers, who's been part of the podcast and Aww. sharing her insights. Um, Amy, um, what uh, what awaits you? I will be the new uh, labor and politics reporter for Iowa Starting Line, which is online, just like the Courier is, but no paywall. So <laughs> if you if you got frustrated with the subscription, like I do sometimes, come on over to Iowa Starting Line. And I'll keep my Twitter handle and everything the same, um, my email and phone number is up there. So 
please keep sending me politics ideas. And that includes you guys, by the way. All right. Good luck with the new job. And as a surprise, we've brought uh, Jeff Kaufman here with us to, hey! to send you send off. <laughs> oh, wait, he's not. He, he's unable to join. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff, Jeff and I don't have bad blood. Jeff, Jeff tried to get a little rile up out of me, but no, he's going to be my bestie after this is all over. I'm telling you. He'll be your best source. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, that's it for this edition of On Iowa Politics. If you enjoy the podcast, tell your friends and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcast. Uh, fan mail may be sent to podcast at thegazette.com. Stay up to date on the Iowa legislature by subscribing to the Capital Digest newsletter under the Iowa legislature tab at thegazette.com. And don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Sioux City Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Muscatine Journal, Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Imperfect will take us out. And if you know an Iowa band or musician who should be on the podcast, send us a sound file and subscribe to On Iowa Politics. For Amy, Aaron, Todd, Jared, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening. Be well. Facebook shit. Peace out. Perfect.